0: Hello and welcome to Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC Football Podcast. It's Thursday, January 7th. And when it's Thursday, you know you can hear from me, David Ubbin, and my co-host, Mitch Light, one of our uh, stellar... College football editors here at the Athletic. If you're not subscribed to the Athletic, you should change that. TheAthletic.com/slash/grits. You can do that there, and you can read all of our work. And Mitch, you helped edit it. You write uh, uh, every now and then for us. Um, it's coaching carousel season officially, uh, and and <sighs> these are always interesting because every coaching carousel decision is self-contained. It's its own animal. Vanderbilt's search is different from Auburn's search, is different from uh, you know, Tennessee's possible search, South Carolina's search. They're all very different. But when you zoom out from a 30,000-foot level, some trend lines start to emerge. Mitch, you've done some research for us. What do we need to know about the SEC's coaching carousel? Yeah,
1: what made me, what prompted this research was thinking about sort of the Auburn hire, and mm-hmm. you mentioned the three openings, and I think all three of those schools or each of those schools kind of swim in different waters when, when they're so. searching for a coach. Now, South Carolina is interesting because they have been fortunate enough in the past 30 years to hire two of the most high-profile, most successful coaches in college football in Lou Holtz in Steve Sprier. Now they were fortunate because they had openings when those coaches were interested or I mean were available, but there was enough about South Carolina for those coaches to take mm-hmm. the make the leap. So th- those fans may have, been, may have been may have been spoiled throughout the years. Um, but so so Auburn's fans want the home run, the big sexy name, the going to win a national championship in year 2. Bama killer. Mm Yes, exactly south carolina probably thinks they're swimming closer to those waters based on their expectations of their fan base and some hires they've made but more of a middle of the pack and then vanderbilt's more and i've made this point many times i thought vanderbilt was in a great situation this year because there was such an attractive pool of that you know either g5 coaches or coordinators so Mm -hmm. um so the point was like How often do coaches to SEC schools, or even Power Five schools, but specifically SEC schools, hire make that home run hire steal
0: away that successful Power Five coach? And we should say this is a home run hire when the hire is made.
1: Yes, 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 (laughs) because we don't know how things. I mean, that's the cap. Every coaching discussion needs with needs to lead with you know Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, Scott Frost at Nebraska. You know Chip Kelly mm-hmm. at UCLA, even though maybe they are
0: slowly starting to turn it around there. And the idea too, you know, that works both ways. The you know Ed Orgeron, and then of course the you know I remember even Bob Stoops getting hired away as a never been a head coach before gets the Oklahoma job, wins national championship in year two. Like, yeah, it's wild. And, and, and
1: he really spoiled it for coaches everywhere. But that yeah. was the he was the first one before it used to be like Phil Fulmer, Tom Osborne. Give these guys time.
0: Mm-hmm. They'll. The,
1: now Bob Stoops comes in and wins it in year two, and then you know every fan base, every athletic <laughs> he department. He did it. So okay, so over the last ten years, there have been twenty-five uh, coaches hired in the SEC. I, you know the answer to this, but uh, I guess my trivia question would be: How many of those twenty-five hires were existing, standing Power Five head coaches? Now that the time not, for our I listeners told you. To yeah, I told you the number. <laughs> did that surprise you?
0: I would have thought higher. I would have thought higher.
1: And it's the answer is four. Mike, Mike Leach, 2020, making the leap from Washington State to Mississippi State. 2018, Dan Mullen from Mississippi State to Florida. Jimbo Fisher, Florida State to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. In 2013, Brett Bielema from Wisconsin to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Nine of those 25 coaches were a group of five head coaches. So that's the highest category. This one's interesting, and I wonder if it's going to change, but 8 of the 25 were power five coordinators. 7 were defensive coordinators, and only one was an offensive coordinator, and that was oh, that's, more, in the next was,
0: decade, we're not going to see a a trend line shift harder than that one.
1: Except that a lot of head, that as more head coaches become offensive head coaches, They're almost their own coordinator, or their coordinator doesn't call plays, so they might not be as attractive as a head coach. So Joe Moorhead is the only uh, offensive coordinator, P5 offensive coordinator. Then we had two position coaches hired, uh, Power 5 position coaches, uh, Shane Beamer, who was the assistant head coach and tight ends coach at South Carolina, uh, at Oklahoma before going to South Carolina, and then Sam Pittman was the offensive line coach at Arkansas going to uh excuse me going georgia to arkansas and then two were kind of their own category matt luke was hired as an interim for a full year and then hired full-time although that didn't last long and then ed ogeron was an interim for three or four games and then hired mm-hmm. full-time so to summarize 25 coaching hires in the last 10 years only four were standing head coaches at other power five schools
0: i am not a math person um which you know, I think I just I think I just gave myself away calling it a math person, but that's around fifteen percent, isn't it? I would have guessed at 16%. least a quarter.
1: You really are not a math
0: person. <laughs> I would have guessed around a quarter. By- <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's uh it's it's uh it's an interesting thing to look at because you know I, I think when you look at the SEC coaching carousel, like you said, it's complicated. And I would have guessed in the last 10 years that 25 coaching hires, the number of programs is sort of a complicated number. You can define that in a number of ways um, with the expansion. Um, I would have guessed more than two and a half openings every year. I mean, this is the year where everyone was said, ah, it's not going to be a coaching carousel. I said that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where you were on that, but I thought it was going to be slower. We're already at three, which means in the last decade you're past the median you may be sitting at 4 not and not too long, and depending on 40, you might get to 5. That's entirely yeah. possible. Um, and that's sort of a different deal. I'll
1: go over the numbers real quick. 2012, there were 2. Mm-hmm. 2013, 4. It's obviously cyclical. If you've got a lot, one sure. year, you're not going to have. 2014, 1. 2015, 1. 2016, 3. 2017, 1. 2018 was a fun one. 6. Uh, <laughs> then 2019, 0 uh 2024 2021 three in in part of the lack of you know big name uh existing power five Alabama has had zero hires um over the stretch Auburn has had one I'm going the top Georgia has had one now Mm -hmm. they went with the coordinator um Florida has had I guess they've had they've had a couple they've had McIlwain so you know not saying that Alabama would definitely hire an existing head coach, but the fact that the the premier program in the league has not made a hire, you know I mean that would only skew the number by change the number by one, so I don't know mm-hmm. if that made much sense. And you
0: never know. I mean, you know, I guess you could say Sark is basically a head coach, but Texas a top, you know, five ten job probably in college football, and they hire a coordinator. Granted, a sought after coordinator, but a coordinator nonetheless. I uh when you look at the churn in the SEC, you know, you mentioned that, that Bob Stoops is one of the first, and I think that people are, are never more impatient. But in the SEC, you have so many programs that believe they should be competing for titles. Not there's not a lot of programs that are gonna say, We got to eight and four this year. That's great. We wanna get to a bowl game every year, and we wanna get to eight and four from time to time. And you know, if we can win our division. You know, once a recruiting cycle or be in the mix, that's great. There aren't very many of those programs in the SEC. Most of the programs in the SEC are, we should never be at a bowl. We should never win fewer than eight games. we should be competing for the division every single year. We should be in the playoff, you know once or twice recruiting cycle. That's more the norm in the SEC. And simple math as well as reality says you can't do that. So I guess my question is, is that we, as we've gotten the quick trigger. Is it okay for programs to give up on a coach in year two, Chad Morris, year three, year four, when, it, when you say, this guy can probably win here. This guy can probably go, you know, win six to eight games. I mean, Gus Malzahn was there for a long time, but that was one of his issues is he never had a losing season, but people lost their belief that he could get Auburn into the playoff. When you feel like this is not the guy that's going to turn us into Alabama, is it fair to punt on a coach?
1: Yes, I think it is. And aside from the money, which is another topic, mm-hmm. but I think, and I've always been one from you know, I, I think I have a good sense on programs, expectations, and history. I'm pretty good. I'm a historian of the sport, and I can say, okay, that program that has been this good or that bad over the last three or four decades. But I've always been one from the outside looking in. Like it's hard to really know what is going on if you've got a competent athletic director which is not always the case and competent leadership like who am i to tell you what to do like if you've determined that this guy is just is not going to get it done mm-hmm. go ahead and pull the plug don't get him back for his third or fourth year just because that's the perceived right thing to do like i'll, I'll give an example and this is one of the programs that doesn't have high expectations but Vanderbilt, in the mid-'90s, hired Rod Dauhauer, away from the NFL. And he was a long-time NFL. He'd coached at Stanford, but I was close to the program back then. And it was clear after one year, but it was painfully clear after two years, that this guy was not going to work out. This wasn't a took over a tough situation, give him time. So Todd Turner, the athletic director, fired him after two years. No one thought it was a raw deal. Ten years later, eight years later, they hired Bobby Johnson. Goes 2-10, and 2-10, but everyone knew – that Bobby Johnson knew what he was doing. He was on the Mm -hmm. right track. He was, you know, he'd been proven head coach. So that's an example where from the outside looking in, and I know this was a different era, people are like, how could they fire Rod Dower after two years? you got to give him time. Well, those close to the program athletic director knew he just was not going to get it done. Same situation a decade later. You had a coach who, ended up being a little bit more successful. Same thing at Arkansas. Like I don't know. I wasn't there every day with Chad Morris, but it seems like it just wasn't working out. They were regressing. So Mm -hmm. they made the decision that this is not the guy, so why should he be back for a third year? Because every year he's back, it's just we're digging a hole that's even deeper. So sure, there are cases where you know whether it's at Auburn or some of these schools with too many cooks in the kitchen, they make a they make a hasty decision. But for the most part, I, I I'm fine with schools making the decision they think is in their best interest.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I look at Kirk Ferrets at Iowa, and I look at uh, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, guys that aren't aren't sniffing the playoff very often. I mean, Iowa almost won the Big Ten that one year with uh, when Michigan State went to the playoff. Uh, shout out to L.J. Scott. That doesn't really exist in the in the SEC. And my question to you is when you look at it, you know, I grew up in SEC country. I've followed SEC football for a long time. Just, you know, I wouldn't call myself a historian. But when you look at the outsized expectations in the SEC, which I think are fair to call it that, why do you think that is? It feels like every school is sort of searching for the glory years in perpetuity and living in ignorance of the larger history of the program that says, you probably can't do that for, you know, ever. Or for, uh, you know, you can't just live in the playoff or live in nine and three floor land. How do you, why do you think that is? Is it just literally fueled by, the passion or what, you know, because Big Ten fans are passionate too, but why do you feel like the the expectations in the SEC, they seem like they're outsized on every single campus relative to reality based on history almost everywhere. And I don't know that I have a good answer of why that is.
1: Yeah, I think it's partly the passion. And I think I'm kind of thinking this through right now. I think every program in the SEC has had some sort of peak slash Mm -hmm. glory era, glory period in the past 20 years that their fans and schools say, we have done it. Missouri won two SEC East titles. James Franklin won 18 games in two years at Vanderbilt, which is Mm -hmm. unbelievable. South Carolina won an SEC East title, then won 11 great games three years in a row. Mississippi State was ranked number one in the nation for three or four weeks. Ole Miss has been in the top 10. Arkansas has won multiple SEC West titles. Every program... They won a
0: national championship only 66-some, 56-some years ago, Mitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: every program has experienced, relative to their history, a almost reached that peak. So they say, why can't we do that more consistently? Why can't we... It, it, or, and or their rival is doing what they want to do. So it's like, we did this a, X amount of years ago. Our rival's doing it now. We should be doing what they're doing,
0: it is interesting, you know, especially you know living in Tennessee now, sort of being uh engrossed in this program constantly. I do feel bad for Tennessee fans because you mentioned the rival. they look to their left, they see Alabama just running the sport, they look to their right, they see Florida. Beating their heads in every every year, and then going and playing in SEC championship games, and they look at Georgia and they see a program that is probably the best suited to un, to 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 uh, unseat Alabama as the kings the SEC. They're right there, recruiting top one, two, three recruiting classes every single year. I feel bad for them, and I think there's there's I don't know if there's any program that's living a more tortured existence in terms of just looking at their at their one time peers and looking way up at them at the moment. But it's just the SEC is so interesting, and it it plays out in so many different areas and in so many different ways. We see it on the recruiting trail, we see it in uh, on the field on Saturdays. But I think the lack of patience and the decision making in in the Uh, coaching carousel is really interesting, and especially that that's the time of year right now. I don't think that, you know, I think when people talk about Tennessee's program and and the issues that have prevented them from from winning, I, I wrote a little bit about this earlier this week. I think the churn hasn't helped, but you look back at all those things, all the firings that they have had to make, None of those were bad decisions. Like, Lane Kiffin, that's out of your control. USC opens up, there was nothing that's, you could do. That's bad luck. Nothing you could do. Yeah. Derek Dooley. I was mean, a bad hire. <laughs> yeah, bad hire. You gave him three years. Uh, no one, especially in hindsight, is going to say you can't do that. Butch Jones, the bottom fell out. You hear enough about the program that you that was not a healthy program. Jeremy Pruitt is interesting. I, it's tough to know. Is Jeremy Pruitt the guy that's going to win SEC championships at, at Tennessee? I i don't know. Probably not, but maybe. I don't know. I think there's a decent case for year four. I don't think that you're dealing with a disaster. I don't think that you're dealing with you know a likely breakthrough year. I think it's going to take some time for them to be what they still want to be. If it's going to be Jeremy Pruitt, I don't know that that's going to happen next year. So I don't know that the impatience is a... A wrong thing, but it's just interesting to me. It's I think.
1: It's like a self fulfilling prophecy. Like it's we've created this culture that if you're not winning within three years, like the Butch Butch Jones, like that was a good hire. He was mm-hmm. Central Michigan. Cincinnati, he's a good coach. Now I think I don't pretend to be that inside that program from the outside looking in. It seemed to me Butch Jones just kind of got caught up in everything and then you know, started spewing all his cliches and buying some coaches
0: can deal with the fishbowl right. better yeah, than that, others. That, like, I, don't I think, think Butch he Jones will do well. really
1: well at Arkansas State. He might have he almost took the Colorado job. He probably would have done well at Colorado. Because mm-hmm. he's a good coach. He just couldn't handle all the that, that like you said, the fishbowl. So I think we've created this culture. Everyone has created the culture. Fans, media, schools that if you're at year three in you're at a school like Tennessee or wherever and you're not winning then the pressure becomes so great, and then you almost get to the point of no return. Like, that's where we almost start with Jeremy Pruitt. It's just like, well, I mean, look at what we've done. It's three years, and we've fired Butch Jones in three years, Derek Dooley in three years. Why is this guy back? And then there becomes so much, let's assume he comes back, so much pressure, so much scrutiny in year four. It's just a different era than it was 10, 15 years ago, where that, the pressure went from year five
0: to year three is sort of now the, the, that line of
1: demarcation.
0: Despite the fact that that I, all of us really should aspire to one day be fired football coaches, yeah. <laughs> you know the the coaches would say that this is bad for the sport. I'm sure it's will it makes life harder on them. Big picture, that impatience we see it some places. We see it good for the sport, bad for the sport. Oh, I think it's bad for the sport. I mean, I hope I'm not
1: contradicting myself uh, <laughs> because earlier I said who am I to tell a school. Not to you know, it's just each place is different, each situation is different. But in general, I think it's it's bad for the sport. Now we, we have not talked money yet because we're just kind of talking about firing and hiring on merit. Mm-hmm. It's not good for the sport with the current culture and the climate of the players not being paid, no matter where you sit on. It. Like if you if you're the most diehard, they're student athletes. They're getting an education for free. That's fine you still can't reconcile the fact that these schools are paying so much money in buyouts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that's where the the the, the culture and where we are with, with firing coaches so much and paying so much money to coaches who aren't coaching. And now the salaries are so high for staffs, we're paying coordinators millions of dola- million dollars not to coach. That's unhealthy, um, aside from the, the the practical reasons why you might fire a coach for lack of performance. So I, it, it's not... It's not ruining the sport I don't think but it's not good for college football that we that that there's so much turnover.
0: Yeah, I think it would probably depend on 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 your perspective. I think as just a fan, it makes things more interesting. Yeah. So you might say it's good. The economics you're definitely right, not good um, for the sport. And I also think it's interesting uh, you know, you look at the you know, I've said this a few times, but the most lopsided rivalry in sports is agents versus athletic directors. <laughs> and I don't know why athletic directors don't seem to be able to to tip the balance a little bit on that. So they're not backed into these insane contracts and giving out these extensions for, you know, having a player got, you know, one of our, our star quarterback got a 94 on his geography exam. Here's another three years on your deal. Like, it's like, Come on now, guys. <laughs> like, again, Andy Staples wrote about this. We mentioned this today. If you're, you know, the three questions you have to ask for, you give yourself a, or give your, your coach an extension. You should go read it. If you're not a subscriber to the Athletic, you can check that out. But I've always just said, if somebody's trying to get your coach or your coach has done something truly remarkable, you should probably extend them or give him some more money. There's no other reason to do that. And we've seen it time and time and time again. Oh, we got to... We got to give this guy a 12-year deal. We got to give this guy – you got to double his salary right now because, you know, I don't know. They won the bowl game. It's like, okay.
1: What what athletic directors need to do is kind of sign some pact of truth where where if I have a coach, I can call five athletic directors at different schools, and they have to be honest and say, if I fired my coach today, would you hire them? (laughs) And if none of them say yes, then there's no reason to give an extension. I want to go back to something you said about Ferentz and Fitzgerald. Like – that, that longevity is great. They've been successful. They've been great for their programs. I bet there's a bunch of Iowa fans who like. There's something exciting about having a new coach. Like, yeah, it, it's boring to have the same coach for 20 years. I, he's won. He's done. He's had some ebbs and flows. But there's like a renewed energy around a program to have a good coach. So like, I think, you know, anything over like seven eight years is a long time. Even if you're in, unless obviously you're Nick Saban or you're you're winning at a really high level. Just there's so much pressure on both sides around around programs. It's just like sometimes after eight seven, eight years, hey, thanks a lot. We're going in a different direction. Uh, I like sometimes like I said, just it's it's time for a divorce and all parties can agree to that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's gonna be interesting. What are we at right now? Marshall and Boise, still the only the only openings. Uh, Tennessee and Florida staring at the carousel. Yeah uh, uh, but <laughs> hold on,
1: let's go back to Marshall because
0: that that was Auburn's jealous about that. About how that that was makes me. When I saw the that, governor, I was like, governor. Am I missing something here? Am I missing something? Like, I, I I didn't understand that. Anytime you, regardless of anything that happened, you know, unless it's like off the field stuff. Anytime you fire the the coach of the year. That's n- that's never gonna play well nationally, you know. Even if there if there's dynamics, I- I'm not sure what was happening at Marshall. Something with that, I didn't read all the stories. Something
1: with the governor. I mean, the governor tried to get <laughs> him out a couple of years ago. I mean, that, that, college like, football like, again. <laughs> yeah. uh, Auburn's je- Auburn's jealous about the the politics involved with that that mess yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, yeah but y- you mentioned, I mean, the, the two of the better, you know, job. Boise clearly the best job in its conference, and Marshall's probably the best which best job in conference USA. I don't know it's one of them. Uh, I'd have to look. Ge- Geography's it's probably, not great. Ge- like yeah. you could say FAU or FIU for ge- geographical reasons, or you know UAB or something like that. But as far as tradition and interest in your program locally,
0: I, I'm a big uh, I'm a big North Texas is a huge sleeper guy, and I, I've never I've never understood why they haven't been able to just set fire to everything, catching all you know getting. There's so much talent in the DFW area. Getting the guys that get overlooked, and then collecting all of the like big time Power Five bounce backs from the DFW area. Yeah. I've never understood why you can't build the next Boise in North Texas. But anyway, we'll save that for our CUSA podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward, Mitch. To it. Thank you for uh, joining me on this spin on the coaching carousel. It's been, uh, you know, the SEC. You never know. Uh, if I was a betting man, I don't think the carousel is done spinning in the SEC. But we will see. Uh, if you guys are not subscribers to this show, you should change that. You can have every episode every weekday delivered directly to your device from whatever podcast purveyor you choose. And, of course, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you should change that. Theathletic.com slash grids. So you can read all of our coverage of the carousel, and it's going to be an interesting offseason. Uh, plenty of new dynamics from name-image likeness to transfer portal season to immediate eligibility. It's going to be uh, quite a year. Uh, And, you know, there's still a pandemic raging. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Thank you uh, for Mitch Light. I am David Ubb. And this has been the Thursday edition of Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC Podcast. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in.